Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hello! How are you? I'm great. You're looking fab as usual. Oh, thank you so much. Like yourself. What have you been doing? How's your week been? Oh, week's been really busy. Um, been getting into back into work. Um, uh, so like a lot of people will probably get getting back into work mode. So haven't had much time um for anything else. But um, but yeah, we did we did go to a cinema, the open air cinema this week. So I got to see you there. Yes, we did. It's great. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to be on Sydney Harbour watching um watching um a new release. So um yeah, I just good. feel like honestly, you know, some people talk about yeah, so there's a book called Purple Cows, and it's supposed to be about mindset and how when you repeatedly see something, some repeatedly have something, it becomes you become desensitized and it doesn't have the same impact as the first time. And maybe that's, and that's probably true, but I just feel like with things like the Opera House and um, that open air cinema and that view, it all, it never, it never ceases to wow me. Mm. I'm always like, wow. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's incredible. And we're very fortunate. Very fortunate. And to have that practically on your doorstep, which is really great. Yeah, so, yeah. I always feel like it's the best. Yeah, that was a really good night. So yeah, yeah. I just feel like it's the best cinema in the world. And what else have I been doing? I've, I've trying. I've been refocused on the dating thing. Refocused. Oh, okay. Refocused my efforts. I took your advice. Okay. My um, advice was about your advice you gave me on on the night we went to the cinema, yeah, so which was like. So just for our listeners, I was basically giving advice, don't know how valid it would be, but yeah. about how you frame yourself. Well, um, icebreakers, essentially. Yeah, on your profile. So which could determine what kind of um, partner ends up responding to you. Well, potential, yeah. yeah. So it's so, good, it's good. Advice, yeah, one of the advice that um, like I gave you was I said, um, I said that previously I've often used um, quotes from films um, to, and, as a bit of a hook. Yeah. Um, which did you use that? Yeah, that's what I used. And which, and which line can I, would you be able to share which, which, um, which quote you used? Oh, I don't remember. So what happened was, 
So I've got two interactions from that advice, two different interactions. Um, I just, basically what I did is I look at their profile and then I look for things and then I Google movie quotes related to something in their profile and I respond with that. That's what I did. So that's why I don't remember because it's not like I've got a head full of movie quotes going on. I see, I see, I see. Okay, right. So as as usual, thank you, Google. (laughs) I could be your dating guru. I could be a Guru. I've had 35 plus years of dating experience um, and uh, we'll see. I don't know how that reads, so whether or not it's um, complete failure or whether it's just uh, experiences. Um, yeah, it's valid. I don't, I'm not too sure how that reads. Who cares? It's like if you've got, if you've got ideas that work, they work. You know, try, try it, move on. That's what I say. Okay. So um, um, on this Wednesday, I'm excited to see what you've got, um, uh, what stories you've got. Well, well, it's big news. And I guess when by the time this goes to air, it would be old news. But new news is this wonderful leader, Jacinda Ardern, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, has resigned, has quit. I never when you sent me through a link for this I um because I've had my head buried in my work and um when this when this came up on my feed it was um uh it was really shocking for me to hear that so um yeah I can believe it I can Um, believe it so and what reason was cited well she basically says she's tired I don't I'm not surprised I'll be I'm more surprised that any of the leaders that got through, that led through the COVID times are still going. Um, demanding role in itself anyway. And then you throw in the curveball of COVID and um, having a leader to have that responsibility of navigating an entire nation through that period, through that pandemic. Um, exactly. Insane. So basically that's what she's saying. Uh, and I say, you know, good on her for recognising that if that's the reason and doing what she needs to do for her. So this is the the headline in the BBC News. Jacinda Ardern, New Zealand PM, quits citing burnout. So she's quitting as New Zealand's Prime Minister ahead of this year's election, saying she no longer has enough in the tank. Enough in the tank. Wow. Yeah. The shock... Announcement comes as polling indicates her Labour Party faces a difficult path to re-election in October. Mr. Dern chokes up as she detailed how six challenging years in the job have taken a toll. Labour MPs will vote to find her replacement on Sunday, Sunday the 22nd of Jan. Miss Ardern, 42, oh my gosh, she's like really close to my, oh, like similar age. I could have been... She's my minister. She's younger than me. She's younger than me. But I mean, people will be shocked. People's jaw will be dropping at that statement. Yeah, in fact, actually, I think she's she's the youngest prime minister. Um, youngest, sorry, youngest female prime minister in the world. Mm. So Miss Ardern said she'd taken time to consider her future over the summer break, hoping to find the heart and energy to go on in the role. But unfortunately, I haven't, and I would be doing a disservice to New Zealand to continue, she told the reporters. Miss Dern will step down by the 7th of Feb. 
If no would-be successor garners the support of two-thirds of the pine room, the vote will go to Labour's lay membership. I didn't know that's how it happened. Okay. Um, she became the young she became the youngest female head of government in the world when she was elected prime minister in 2017, age 37. I think the Finnish prime minister's young as well. I don't know who won that title okay. after the fact, but I think the Finnish prime minister was elected after her. Well, I see, I see. And a year later, she became the second elected world leader to ever give birth while in office after Pakistan's Benazir Bhutto in 1990. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one too. Yeah. Hmm. Do you know what? It's like, as the Aussies say, like, good on her in the sense of that um, it's a very brave thing to be able to, to identify, but also to admit, to say, you know, there's, I haven't got enough of the energy of what my country deserve of me. Mm. That's a very brave thing to be able to admit to and to also be able to, to own that. Um, and um, and so, so, yeah, good honour for doing lots of... I'm sure there's lots of politicians who, who continue on simply for the sake of it. And the only people that suffer are the, are, are the actual are the public of that nation. You know that, that Jacinta Ardern is... Is just uh, she's an, she's an advocate for empathy and kindness in the workplace and, and strength and leadership as well. Yeah, yeah, of course, and uh, and so it's um it's it's now you know she's basically also um uh, looking at her self awareness or listening to herself mm. and being able to be that self aware and be able to say you know I I don't have enough of what you deserve. So as you're yeah. saying now. But also, think about it. She's also a working mum with a with a very young child. I think she only gave birth was it last year or the year before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About eighteen months ago or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm sure she had to have and has a very supportive husband to be able to do that job, mm-hmm. um, which is wonderful. But I think but... She, also, she also holds her own because I remember there was a feature that I saw um, when um, I think it was when she fell pregnant. And her, 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 the opposition in New Zealand, there was a radio discussion show, and the opposition in New Zealand was um, was coming down on her about um, having to identify um, um, her pregnancy when she ran for office um, because of a maternity leave coming up and, and the entitlement. And Jacinta, the way she took that on board and just shut down that comment was uh, was was very was exemplary. Of, of oh, well, how? I don't understand what you mean. So there was like a, a discussion between the between the two parties and she was basically after she announced that she was pregnant she had comments backlash from the opposition leader saying to her and the comments that he gave was that she was that Jacinta should have revealed her pregnancy at the time she was running um, to be prime minister and how was she going to manage the the maternity leave aspect the entitlement that, that she's promoting and and Jacinta, the way she managed that was was she shouldn't be in a position where she should be be asked that question in this day and age, whereby the the focus should be on the fact of her leadership and her capabilities, regardless of if she's pregnant, if she's not pregnant, is she going to take maternity leave? Is she not going to take maternity leave? That isn't even an issue. Mm. And so she responded to that and shut the opposition leader down. Was very impressive. Right. Okay. Cool. Wonderful. Well. Um, she's dealt with a lot then. She steered New Zealand through the COVID-19 pandemic and its ensuing recession. Yeah, it was a 
the um, tagline, I think, or the, the way they read about it was called, they went fast and hard. And so yeah. fast and early or something like that. So, and, and leaders around the world have commended her on that leadership of making that call because it's not an easy call to make. Um, she also dealt with the Christchurch mosque shootings and the White Island volcanic eruption. Mm. So those are all the things she's had to deal with. And she said the past five and a half years have been the most fulfilling of her life, but leading the country during crisis had been difficult. Yeah, because it wasn't like, oh, it wasn't smooth sailing, day-to-day stuff, was it? No, that particular period was an era of daily change. There were daily updates in in almost every country that I can think of, um, which was being led by the politicians. And in comparison, um, you know, with with Jacinta Ardern's approach, the fast and hard, compared to Boris Johnson's approach, it's just it, it was miles apart, and you could see the difference just in itself. So. Yeah, it's not even that. Just that event. All of those events, more than yeah. one for her. Crisis. All those crises, basically. Yeah, yeah the shootings. Um, the shootings that happened. You know, she. The empathy that she showed was. Um, you know, it's it's amazing. It's just amazing. For me, it's just her authenticity that does actually shine through. Whereas it's not always shine doesn't always shine through with leaders heads of state I, I, I very rarely see that with heads of state actually so this is what she says she says these events have been taxing because of the weight the sheer weight and continual nature of them there's never really been a moment where it's ever felt like we were just governing national party leader chris luxon was among those who thanked the sergeant for her service to new zealand and then there's quotes from different people commemorating her, saying how much of an incredible job she did. And this was um, the oppo- opposition leader wow. saying she's given her all to this incredibly demanding job. That's, a, that's quite, what would I say? Um, a co- to get a compliment from op- opposition leader, like mm. where we could have just said. It's rare that happens. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Because no, I would expect something like, well, yes, it's time to move on, or something like that from an opposition leader. A streak in, in the world of politics where it normally comes into play. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, you know, her hard work and um, and her character and her strength has uh, has been recognised by the opposition, definitely that speaks volumes. Yeah. And, and it, it, sounds like, it sounds like such a slog that she went through. You know, well, it's crisis after crisis. The last, yeah, the last five years, what New Zealand went through, and um, and she had to navigate her people around this. Um, it just sounds like I'm not. That's what I'm saying. It's, you know, it's a very brave thing to do to be able to then step away, but it's understandable, understandable, and um, you know, I commend her for doing that. Mm, totally, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great loss to New Zealand and also the world. Um, but, it, but I commend her, you know, for yeah. herself and her health first. Yes, absolutely. And um, the Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese, described Mr. Dern as a leader of intellect, strength and empathy. And, and so basically lots of members, so specifically here, lots of heads of state, 
um, head of state of Australia, head of state of Canada, even an opposition leader, have come out with very complimentary compliments about um, her leadership and her service, which I think is very beautiful. Hmm. But what I found interesting when I read this is that while Mr. Durham was often seen as a political star globally, opinion polls suggest she was increasingly unpopular at home. She led the Labour Party to a landslide election victory in 2020, capitalising on her government's strong early response to the pandemic. But the latest opinion polls put her personal popularity at its lowest since she was elected, and approval of her party's performance similarly low. So basically, her popularity in her own country is apparently decreased, diminished, and quite low. I'm not surprised either, because people are everywhere, and this is really in nearly all countries, are going through a recession of feeling the after effects of the pandemic and the lockdowns and how it's managed. And there doesn't seem to be a perfect way to have managed that situation that we've never been in before. There never is. Since the Spanish flu. Like, for example, parenting, you know, there's no there's no one rule for parenting. I mean, there's no comparison. But in terms of a COVID pandemic, you know, we didn't know it's, it's, it's what was going to happen. We didn't, we've never been faced with that type of crisis in uh, until since the last hundred years. Mm. And, and who knows, it'll probably happen again in the next hundred years. Mm. But, um, but being a politician at the time of COVID is what is probably the most difficult time in, in a career. Yeah. So what doesn't surprise me is that the leaders, whether they handled it well or not, get blamed for the consequences, which is a rising cost of living, the recession. Um, with the rising cost of living comes other other things like increasing crime. So these are the reasons and the things that she's being blamed for. And that doesn't surprise me that any leaders blamed for those things. Yeah, when you're a politician, you can, you're not going to make everyone happy. There's always going to be there's always going to be some there's always going to be some groups, some parties, um, you know, that, that you don't get on side. And Jacinta Ardern, she addressed that when she came came into office and took that role. I think in one of her speeches, you know, she was saying about there was there were people that voted for us, but there were also some. She recognised that and she admitted that there were also people that didn't vote for us. And she said, regardless of that, she's going to do her best. And that's what it comes down to. You can, as a politician, well, in any role, you can only do your best. Mm. And if that isn't good enough in someone else's eyes, you know, there's there's not much you can really do about that. Yeah, I guess. I guess you're right. And the reaction, so like the reaction to her announcement of, you know, leaving has been varied. So you've got, you know, her supporters that are, that are actually coming out and saying what a great leader she was or is. And then you also have the critics that will say that she's running away for getting out and blaming her for the problems that a New Zealand is facing. All completely understandable. And then you get other people saying that she's one of the greatest prime ministers in New Zealand's history. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely going to be a mixed bag for sure. Sure. But about the, um, uh, when you mentioned Tracy about the authenticity um, of Jacinta Ardern, it's interesting how I can't I can't think of another prime minister in New Zealand 
or elsewhere actually that stepped away because of burnout and so you know for Jacinta to be able to cite as a resignation you know like like I said it's, it's brave it's brave to do that and I commend her for doing that you know would would we hear the same from a male prime minister I don't think so because I and and, and t- I've never only because I haven't heard it maybe you know please correct me if I'm wrong if you have I also think because being someone who's experienced burnout myself that it's and then and this is my belief I have at the time that it seems a weakness to admit that um because what you're essentially saying is you can't go on with the way things are or you you're out of fuel or you know nothing left in the tank it's basically what you're saying and it's a, and it's perceived as a sign of weakness which is unfortunate so I can see why so that's why especially from a leader um that it's so brave and also it, it I guess she's also giving other people permission to admit that as well but the difference with her and like the likes of me is that I can I could and did can just change my situation like that if I'm experienced burnout she probably had that feeling long before she's come to this decision yeah and she probably felt like she didn't have a choice then I'm just completely speculating to leave because she probably thought, I'm guess, speculating my total opinion that a country needed her and she had to continue. And I totally get that. It doesn't seem like it was a decision that was made over, you know, the last two or three weeks or even months. It must have been going on for a while. Um, but, but you know, it seems as though maybe she's stuck in with it. And obviously we're speculating here. But like you say, it's some, it is like admitting to feeling burnt out admitting that there's there's not much left in the tank is seen as and is perceived as a weakness and that shouldn't be the case it's actually admitting the um admitting about what you know about yourself and what you what you think that other people deserve of you in that particular role it's not a weakness mm. to put your hand up and say you know i don't have enough for what you deserve I think that's definitely the the, um, the missing piece of it. It's about what the, what she's into thinks her, her nation deserves. Mm. They should really, um, you know, to commend her for that. Yeah, exactly. So really, then that's that's pretty much the article. It finishes to say that Miss um, Dern stressed that she wasn't resigning because she and the party were unpopular. She says, "I'm not leaving because I believe we can't win the election, but because I believe we can and will." And we need a fresh set of shoulders for that challenge. And then it talks about contenders, which I'm not going to go into. Um, and then she lists her government's achievements on climate change, social housing, reducing child poverty as ones she was particularly proud of. And she said that she hoped her legacy in New Zealand would be as someone who always tried to be kind. And she also says that she hopes, I hope I leave New Zealand with a belief that you can be kind, but strong, empathetic, but decisive, optimistic, but focused, and that you can be your own kind of leader, one who knows when it's time to go. That's what she said. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's right. Round of applause there, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Have you seen her um, mention about the kindness 
a value that she has and that she leads with, uh, and also her mentioning empathy. So um, there was um, there's actually a documentary about her on Netflix at the moment, and she talks about how um, you don't necessarily need to be the most uh, the most strongest sounding person in the room because you may not necessarily get your message across in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, basically i suppose she also was was, was talking about or, or reflecting upon that authenticity side of things that you mentioned so yeah i feel like well there's different styles of leadership there's that very direct in your face loudest is heard the louder you speak the more you interrupt people the more you repeat yourself and there's no compassion in that kind of communication it's very masculine in its style and mm-hmm. there's the idea that being kind, being compassionate, listening, um, having a gentleness to communication is somehow weak and not and not attributable to leadership or leading. There's evidence here that that's not just not true. And more people want to see that type of leadership in the world today because the old style, the old style of leadership is not as effective uh, or it's not as sustainable, I would say. Yeah, and um, I think that's, what's, that's what really gained um, Jacinta's popularity. Yeah. Because, um, because she wasn't afraid to um, to show that empathy side, lead with empathy, lead with kindness. Yeah, um, exactly. And, so, and to, to, to be able to get her message across. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I mentioned about the documentary about Jacinda on Netflix, and it's actually made by, the documentary is made by Harry and Meghan, um wow. yeah harry harry and megan made uh are making a series of documentaries about leaders i didn't know that yeah and it's uh it's on netflix it's a series called live to lead and so they've selected a number of leaders um, uh past and current and um and it's a short documentaries um about their life and also interviewing um them about about their life jacinda um, and one of them that Harry and Meghan have selected is um, Jacinta Ardern. And oh. so there's a we have 30 minute document on Netflix. This is I'm not I'm, I feel I feel like I'm promoting this, but um, I feel like you promote Netflix uh, a like, lot. You can you, uh, you can you, you can watch it on Netflix and uh, and yeah. So I suppose like it's a segue into the next story that I that I came across. So um, there's been explosions in the press in the media. Um, around uh, Prince Harry's new book, Spare. And this yeah, caused an explosion um, across the world because he's basically um, given us a full insight into how the royal family operate. And um, I don't know why he's done this, but the approach that he's come from is because he's he's now uh, living his life in, in the States. In his book, he's, he's basically shared that he had to flee England um, because of safety reasons for him and his family, and the article that has uh, that has come up. Before um, you go to the title, uh, I just it, wanted to say that you just in the past week. In the past week, it's been. I feel like it's been the last year. You can't <laughs> read the news. You can't look at the news without there being something about them. It's I mean, all. It's all. The media has all been about um, has and uh, has and Meg or. Um, uh, as I call it, Hazard now, or Hazard, Hazard, Hazard. We, I said the has has came up because 
There was a, um, again, Netflix, there was a, Netflix, in my Netflix documentary, a two-part documentary, um, Megan refers to Prince Harry as, she calls him Has. So now the whole world um, is calling him Has. So it's all Has. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so Hazza in my book. Okay. Um, Meg. Um, so the title of this uh, of this story is Prince Harry says he was bigoted before he met Meghan, and the well, article is from BBC News, mm -hmm. which uh, which which came out this week. Um, and I'll go to go on to read the article. Prince Harry has said he was bigoted before meeting Meghan Markle in an interview with U.S. broadcaster CBS. He also said he was naive about the about how her ethnicity would affect media coverage of their relationship. In a new book, Harry also expressed regret at calling the South Asian cadet a racist slur while at Sandhurst. Uh, the royal family have declined to comment, obviously. So, uh, but his claims once again bring up highly sensitive subject of race in the institution. And essentially, that's why this, um, this story um, ex exploded recently, because, again, it does bring up um, the subject of race in the British institution and especially in the royal family. And um, the, the article goes on to say Harry's memoir, Spare, um, was leaked after some copies went on sale early in Spain. In an interview ahead of its release, Harry said, I went into this incredibly naive. I had no idea the British press was so bigoted how I was probably bigoted before the relationship with Megan. So he was. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting because this article, I mean, there's, there's a lot more that's in this article, but I suppose like, what, what I'd like to say is that um, it's interesting how what he's saying is that uh, he had these ideas that he was living with up until the time when he he met Megan's, obviously Megan's entered his life. He's building a life with her. And now he's actually seeing how racism and being a person of colour impacts you in your life because now he's getting first-hand knowledge of it and um and this is what he's sharing this is I suppose in a way so in in interviews that he's had to promote this book when he's been asked why have you um vocalized what you have now in this book what's your intention this is one of the reasons why he that he's citing for, for writing this book is so that he can share with other people who may have the same beliefs as them or that it's not necessarily like that, that he wants to shine a light on what is really happening. So I don't know if I buy that, but then I would have to read the book for myself to see if that I believe that because how much of the book really talks about that? I imagine it's like 1%. You know, I haven't read the book either, but um, you know, I Are you going to read it? I, this is a question I was going to ask you. You know, I mean, I, are you going to read the book? My answer, yes, I am. But that's only, that's because I love, you know, I'm a book reader anyway. I'm interested in, I've always been interested in the royal family. So for me, um, regardless how much press attention this book um, gained, I was always going to read it anyway, because it's coming from him. And it's a perspective that we haven't seen before of the royal family. And I, and I would really like to hear his perspective. Um, in full, rather than short, sharp sections and excerpts which have been shared in interviews or in um, in news columns or on news features. So I personally am going to be reading the book. Right. Um, well, then you... I'm going to ask you how much of that book actually focuses on the the idea of bigotry and, I guess, racism. 
institution because I don't I just I just find it hard to believe that that's an intention of the book I think if I I think I mean if we I suppose I'm going to kind of turn it around a little bit Mm -hmm. if Harry chosen a life partner who was not a person of color would he be would we still be seeing this book no so that then goes to goes to say that then basically the reason why he's writing this book is because he's had this experience of being exposed to racism, to bigotry, and he's seen his beliefs in a different perspective through a different lens, and that's why he's writing this book. If yeah, but then it's also partly how he's been treated by his family, regardless of if it's the regardless. So that's part, I think that's more about the book. It's more about how he's been treated by his family. Um, and he could have been treated by his family that way if he'd have married a white movie star, American movie star. He could he could have been, but I I think there's the extra element. Oh, totally. You're right. There totally is that extra element. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why, um, just one of the reasons why he's he's deciding to expose his mm. story. And I think, yeah. um, going back to the... Um, the feature sorry um, what 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 where was the source of the feature so oh i mentioned it being, being bbc news oh sorry i missed that part. so going back to the feature um he basically mentions about um the press about the british press and and how skewed they were so i'm going to find um so so in the article, it says, in an interview ahead of its release, Harry said, I went into this incredibly naive. I had no idea the British press was so bigoted. Okay. So um, so if he was, if he did end up, if we turn it around and he ended up um, marrying somebody um, uh, who wasn't of colour, would British press have given him the same response? And the, and the answer is no. And so, and that was the reason why he he shared about moving away from Britain was because of the British press, mm. the narrative of his the story of his life. Mm. And so that's another reason why he's released this book because now it's coming from him. The world can, if they want to know, they can pick up this book and they can hear it from him rather than having the press who he's labeled as bigoted to lead his story. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I guess he wants uh, basically because people. He does slag off his family. Let's be honest. Whether yeah, he does. Whether you believe the things he says or you don't, doesn't matter. He's shining a negative light on his family in public. That's that's a fact, right? But also, the press are writing the, the his story or their story through their own opinions. So, and it's really interesting. What I find interesting, Aminal showed me this, was she showed me all the headlines from Megan and all the headlines of Kate. So obviously they're different partners with similar scenarios, like when they would turn up wearing this or turn up. The difference was incredible. If you look at the contrast, it's very obvious. The bigotry then becomes obvious. But I think you might need to do that to see it for yourself. Um, so th- I agree there was definitely that came across in the press, for sure. Yeah, it was like basically um, those different rules applied um, for Kate and Meghan. The, and what Harry's saying is it comes down to the, to the fact of there was a difference in race. 
that's what is that all it is or is it more complicated than that is it also because she was an american movie star as well there's those there's there's those layers also in there too that, that, that come into play of course um for this particular article um harry is saying that he was well he he shares that um before he met megan um he admits that he was naive and and he was also bigoted mm. and so it's interesting how he uh, it's it's only until he met megan until someone of color came into his life um that's when he basically had a different perspective and could really appreciate racism in in britain and also in 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 the british press and he didn't mm. know that before so and i suppose i suppose many you know may, maybe this is more common than we realize maybe there are um, other people out there who have been through experiences where they think they know their, their own beliefs and it's only when someone else comes into their life or or somebody uh, or they're, they're in a situation which they've been exposed to and then they have to question their own beliefs in terms of prejudice and even racism absolutely have you ever had that kind of experience tracy where um, yeah but yes i have because because the, the level of racism i've experienced is completely different to the level of ra- racism somebody who's black like purely black isn't isn't biracial it's completely different so and i know and i know that which and what i'm saying is i have privilege because i'm it's it's this weirdest strangest way to grow up to feel that you're not black enough and you're not white enough in different people's perceptions but I still have privilege I still have privilege because I'm not considered um purely black and that's the only way I can describe it so I I do so although I have a level of racism it's completely different to what some black people experience so and it's and then I know that because I hang I've you know I've got family that are black and of those people in my lives so yes that that was a realization but a very young age that I have um but I see it happening with because I have a lot of white people in my life as well I see it happen when they come into contact with other people of color not just me but other people of color or people where English isn't their first language. I feel like you have to see and touch it until you can understand it not everyone operates that way but uh, many of us do and that's what's happened to Harry like it's not like she's the first ever person of colour he's ever met or interacted with in his life he's chosen Megan as a partner um, and so that's that's personal it's it's, she's she's coming to his personal life she's now his life this is his life now Mm -hmm. and so that's why from from Harry's perspective he's saying or I think he's saying that you know this is now his life and now he's seeing it through he's now been put through a different lens he's now seeing life through a completely different lens it surprises me though because I think in that article I don't know if you've read it or you're going to read it he talks about well at school at Sandhurst having an interaction with a Southeast Asian student where he's basically being racist and and um the quote from the article that you've mentioned is um harry was discussing an incident from 2009 when footage emerged from a few years earlier of him calling fellow sandhurst cadet ahmed raza khan quote marks my little p-word friend and we all know what p-word is well in the UK, 
the word is one of the most offensive terms of abuse that can be used against people of South Asian origin or appearance mm. um, or anyone of colour. And he's uh, Harry's um, gone on to say, I didn't know it was an insult. When I was little, I'd heard lots of people use that word and had never seen anyone scowl or seem upset. And I never considered these people using the word to be racist. So. Right. Well, there you go. And I mean, and I got I, called that word. We can say yeah. that word. And the word is packing. And in fact, I, I, I know that when in my experience growing up in and dating, uh, dating white or having white boyfriends, walking down the street and if we're holding hands, I, my white boyfriend would be called packy lover. Um, or in fact, coconut lover. Um, so, oh no, I would be called a coconut. That's right. Oh yeah, white on the inside, black on the outside. Coconut. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, I was called a coconut, and my, my my boyfriend would be called packy lover. So, and for me, it's like that was it was insulting, but it was so common. I don't think it, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't happen now in England, or <laughs> it happens a lot less. Mm. I'm thinking, I'm hoping, I'm hoping because. Because I'm hoping that there's been more diversity that has, that has happened, that has occurred over the years. I mean, in my experience, like I've just shared, that was from 30 years ago plus. And so I'm hoping that in 30 years, in the streets of Coventry, <laughs> that it's definitely changed. Um, well, Harry actually went on to say, I was 21. I'd grown up isolated from the real world and surrounded by privileges. And I believe that word was like saying Yankee, innocuous. So you can clearly see he was completely naive, but his naivety was born out of the fact that he was privileged. Yeah, I, so. I, I, I kind of buy it. I'm not sure I buy it 100% because did that friend not say something? Maybe they didn't. Maybe they were the only person of colour at Santos. I don't know. That's and if there were a friend, especially if there were a friend, they're not just well, another student that you you know of in the same school. If they're a friend, are they not offended? And I can't imagine no, anybody not being offended by that. So, but maybe that friend, because in because of that environment, that friend probably stuck out like a sore sore thumb. The friend probably didn't respond or even um, protect himself or even even respond even if he was um, even if he was even if he did feel insulted because he wanted to feel part of that group included and I totally get that and I know that um I mean I've 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 come across situations where um, uh, in the past way in the past where a similar situation has come up where I've been not necessarily called but there's been a comment made um at me and I downplayed it I might have even laughed along with it in memory um because I wanted to still feel included in that group yeah looking back now looking back now I would have, you know, what I would say to that younger Bhavna is I would say, say something, call it out. But at that time, I was much younger. I didn't know how to stand up for myself in that mm. setting. I didn't know um, uh, what response would be the most useful, the most, um, the most correct response in order to not impact my role within that group. Absolutely. So maybe that's why there wasn't so much of a response, but... But in terms of that particular article um, about me saying that maybe it's more common than we realise is because I know that 
going back 30 years in I was dating um, white guys in Coventry which is a you know small town in England and or small city should I say in England um and when I was dating those white those white boyfriends a lot of them they it was the first time they were dating someone of color me myself mm. and so they were never exposed to any any kind of abuse and when we would be walking down the street and he would be called a packy lover that would be the first time that they encountered abuse and I remember with one of my with one of my boyfriends at the time, you know, he was really taken aback and he was really offended because he turned to me. I remember and he said, but I'm not a packy. I'm not a packy lover. Why would they say that? Why would they say that? And the response of them, it was quite interesting to see. And so it was, a, it was the first time they were exposed to that. And it and years on after that, you know, that obviously changed their mm. Or the way they, they responded to racism or the way they even saw racism and this is exactly what harry's going through but with harry it's different because he's so he's so much in the spotlight he's one of the most famous people on the planet and because he's one of the most famous people on the planet has now been exposed to racism and now it's his life that's why this spotlight is now being shown on it that's why he's being given a lot of attention and mm. now he's taking the narrative into his own hands and basically saying, well, maybe we can learn from this. Maybe with me admitting this, yeah. it's a step forward in realising this. Well, I hope so. I really do. I really hope so, because obviously that's what I want to happen. Um, and it's funny, just to explain to people that may not understand this whole insult, Paki means someone from Pakistan, for a start, and Bhavna is not from Pakistan, which is just makes it so stupid. And also, like, it's a name I got called a lot as a young child. Um, what's interesting is in Australia, I was having this conversation with a friend, a white friend, lovely, lovely, lovely soul. And I was talking about a story where I got caught, I was bullied as a child. These are the kind of insults that I would face on a daily, regular basis. And when I mentioned this, the P word to him, he was like, well, well, just a minute. I didn't know that was an insult. And this guy is Australian and a lot of Australians love cricket, right? And he mm. played cricket a lot. And he, when he was younger, and he would play in um, against the Pakistani team, the Indian team, South African team, whatever. I think he was quite, not professional, but semi-professional. Yeah. And he said, that's what we called people from Pakistan. Like, that's what we call them in a... I guess the way Prince Harry is saying he thought, you know, Yankee in that yeah. kind of context, he said, that's what we called them. And we, I had no idea that was offensive. So yeah, and maybe it's the environment too. Yeah. And maybe it's the environment. And it's, it, that isn't very interesting because of the environment that you mentioned in is sporting environment. And in a sporting environment, you know, it's, um, it's, it's definitely, yeah, but the, the word, the word packy, I haven't heard it used in a sporting term, but I suppose, you know, but it's using a more camaraderie type of term, but really, but at the end of the day, it's it's quite a it's a derogative term. So, um, and it is a it's 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 a racist term. I guess people might want to know why, and really simply why is because behind that word was a lot of hate, a lot of disgust. It's the energy behind the word and how it was used the most often in the in Britain, and that's why. It's so offensive yeah. and and even stupid when it's used in reference to the likes of me and Bavna. Yeah, absolutely. 
I haven't heard the word used in a very, very long time. In, here in the, U, in the UK and in Australia, I haven't personally heard the word used in a long time, which I'm hoping is, you know, there's, there's differences, there's progressing. Well, it's different here because there wasn't, you know, a large, you know, immigration of people from Pakistan where there is in the UK, which, you know, relates to why it was used there as an, as an insult. What I, from what I understand, it was used as a term of endearment because, against a team from that country. So the context is completely different. That's it. It's, it's definitely, it's the context. That's mm. it. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, and, you know, this story with uh, with has loaded in the media we're obviously giving it some limelight too but it's it's worthwhile discussing especially in terms of the fact that harry is sharing that he's had a change of perspective and he was naive about his perspective yeah and he's he's basically sharing how how he's he's growing and how he has grown as a person with his perspectives yeah i don't, I don't i'll be honest i don't really care about how he's grown um, why? Why is that the case? I should. What I like is that um, he's shining a light on this part. It's it's far more. His situation is far more complex, and he definitely has a lot of pain relating to his family and how they responded to this. Um, and I hear because this has a they're so in the press so often. I hear around me. People are struggling to understand or believe that the royal family are racist or there's there's anything to do with racism involved here. I I hear that from, honestly, from white people. So how would you, Bavna, explain that there is a level of bigotry and racism involved? My only way to show them is the whole comparing the media coverage between the two. How would you explain referring back to the article in in the sense that Harry's basically um, he's putting forward that there are differences in yes firstly the way that um, that the two uh, women who married into the royal family were treated and it's yes it could be based on it could you could argue it could be based on the fact that one one's one's not British um, she's American um, uh, she's she's a divorcee. but also the, the, the main difference is that she is a person of colour mm-hmm. and it's the first person of colour that has entered the royal family. And so um, that's where Harry's coming from. The other, the other difference is in the is in the stories that have also been written by the press. Um, one of the headlines was straight out of Compton. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. So basically, um, straight out of Compton is um, so uh, Compton is a is is a region, an area in the US which is known to be um, area. It's it's quite a rough area for blacks. Oh, is it like ghetto basically? Yeah, yeah, and they're basically associated. So straight out of Compton, a headline like that is literally directed at race. Absolutely. It's not it's not straight out of Hollywood. No. If, it, if a headline said straight out of Hollywood, then we would know, okay, the press are really jumping on the fact that she's an actress. Yeah. It wasn't straight out of straight out of the US. Yeah. Because then that would then say, okay, well, um, uh, you know, the press are homing on the fact she's an American. Um yeah. and also on the American side of things, 
There was also the other American ma that married into the family was Wallace Simpson, uh, who was who was married to um, to Edward, mm. and there was hardly any suggestion or comparison of Wallace Simpson with, with with Meghan. And Wallace Simpson, yes, she got some bad press, but it wasn't about her being American. It was more so about her being a divorcee. Mm. Again, with Meghan, they didn't focus on that. So the fact factors that we have mentioned about a big, big could maybe be based on her being U, um, a US citizen, about the fact that she's a divorcee, the fact she's an actress, hardly any of that was touched on in the media. One of the main, one of the main um, headlines um, about Meghan was straight out Compton. And I think it was actually that particular press article um, which prompted Prince Harry to put out a statement. This is before they were married. Prince Harry put out a statement which was about the, the British press crossing a line. And that was the, that's when, when Harry wrote in his statement, a line has been crossed. That was a quote from from his statement. He mm. was he was uh, pointing at race. He was saying you've now crossed a line. Mm. And that was before they were married, and so since the marriage, and even before then, since that time, that line has continued to be crossed. That race line has continued to be crossed, and that's why Harry is is basically saying that mm. it's about bringing up a bigotry in the in the British press. Mm. And he's also insinuated about it being in the royal family because of some, something he shared about maybe the question about how dark the baby was going oh, to yeah. be. I heard that. And so uh, this is all in the book. And, yeah. so, um, and yes, there's, yes, there'll be portions of a book, which I expect, and uh, I've heard of it being portions of his upbringing, and also his um, family relationships. But there's also a portion of what we're discussing um, today, which mm. is on press being bigots, and also the press really honing in on his choice of partner being a person of colour, and how that has impacted uh, his life, and how, he, and how he has now has this newfound knowledge of race, and people responding to you being of a certain race and how that impacts your life mm. well it's interesting for sure and thank you for explaining that Mina, because I don't follow it because I just don't want to get sucked into that charade <laughs> so I have not been following it but I've been hearing from my friends like yourself bits and pieces um yeah so I, follow it I follow it all <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not I'm not big fans of Haz and Meg in the same way I'm not big fans of um I wouldn't say I'm, I'm massive fans of um Kate and William uh but I suppose for me it's like I'm personally very interested I've always been interested around world family so yes I I do follow um, okay that's why and um, we're both from Britain the UK right. I'm not interested I don't, I'm not an anti-monarchist I'm not a pro-monarchist actually I'm a bit of a pro-monarchist in the sense that I like that tradition that history um and I think they can add value whether they do or not is questionable I think they can add value in their position um like Prince Harry I guess is now with that in a way yes yeah? and then going back to tying in with going back to the Jacinta Ardern documentary that so Harry and Meghan because they've stepped away from a royal family they, they obviously still have a sense of um they, they want to make a difference with their titles and one of the things they've done is produce this series this documentary series uh, on Netflix it focuses on eight documentaries around leaders of the world 
and and has interviews with those leaders mm -hmm. to share stories about what what makes leader um, from their perspective. Yeah. Um, hence, it's called Live to Lead. And so they're in this sense, what they're doing is they're taking their position now and turning it around and coming from an approach which is led by them rather than um, a leadership which is led by the royal family and each correspondence and all the rules and all the red tape around that. Mm. That's why Harry is also saying he's, he left he left England because there was a lot of red tape around what he could and could not do with mm. his with his title, with his privilege. Well, that's great. I'm great. That's what I'm saying. You, they can add value in the world. Everybody, everybody can add value in the world, um, them in a particular way. So wonderful. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I'd really like to go to this, what would you do? Yes, that's segment. right. Yes. Because we're like, we, no, just, no, we just can't help ourselves, can we? I know, that's exactly. I think what's happened is the media circus and the attention has really been focused on the struggle that Harry has gone through in terms of, of being able to take back his own narrative and own his own story um, with, with now being able to use his privilege for good. Yeah. I, the, 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 the media circus has focused on the struggle yeah. rather than actually focusing the attention on, okay, how is Harry now using his privilege for purpose? Yeah, and, the, and let's face it, he's privileged and he, and he always has been. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think he's seeing this in now. He's finally seeing this in a different perspective mm. because he's been able to step away from that royal family bubble, from that English, from the British bubble, when you step away from the bubble, you're then kind of outside looking in. And now he's been exposed to this perspective. Boom, this is his book. Yeah, got it. And you know what? You say something in the book to me. I'm more and more interested in reading it now. <laughs> you know, it's up to you. I'm great. Actually, maybe has and Meg could employ me as their new PR person. You could, you'd be fantastic. You'd be a fantastic PR partner. I think so that's, I really think that should be your next calling. I think you're amazing. You can be my PR. <laughs> I could do that. I could. I'd love to do that. Um, so tell me, what have you got for me for the what if? What would you do? Put me into someone else's shoes, Tracy. Okay. What would you do? I'm going to... I'm, I'm terrible with the jingles. jingles. We need a Terrible, jingle. terrible jingles. But this is today's. What would you do? Right, it's terrible. Yeah. Never mind. I don't care. All right, so this is the scenario. You hear a white co-worker say they aren't privileged because they grew up poor. Before you answer, it could be a friend because we just talked a lot about privilege. Very apt there. Yeah. A white privilege. I talked about my own privilege and being, dif being different. So it could be a conversation with friends. And, you know, so you have friends are white and what if one says you know I grew up poor I'm not privileged like what how would you respond to that but from hearing that I probably think to myself well their their sense or their interpretation of the word of being privileged is through money is through wealth and that's what their their blinkers are just on that is is having rights according to wealth but having rights is really according to so many of the factors. 
including race. And so I, I, I actually wouldn't open up that conversation with my, with, if it was a friend or a coworker, I actually wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't respond with, with it opening up a can of worms. I may be inclined to put in there to comment, you know, privilege isn't just about wealth. And then to see what their response would be. And then navigate that conversation from there. But it would give me an idea, that particular comment would give me an idea um, or even a judgment around what this person's perspective is. Do you know what? I feel like I need to get on entitlement. That's so cool. You just made me think, I don't really interact on Twitter very much, but I really like that, what you just said, as I'm going to use that. I digress. I'm going to use that. We'll pipe that. I'm going to use that. Privilege isn't just about wealth. I'm going to use that in a question. Thank you for that. But anyway, you're right. It isn't. And so I, I get the feeling. If I'm at work, if I was in my old workplace and um, I heard somebody say that, honestly, I'd be the same. I would not, I'd be like, oh, this is a can of worms. <laughs> this is going to take up too much of my time. I am not going to go there right now. I would be the same. Yeah. If I was with friends, I would now, and, and there's a difference between me now and me in my 20s and me in my teens, um, me now would say something. Me now would say something. Um, this is from the lean in. So this is the stats. And yes, it's in America, but we can totally translate this to Australia, Britain, Canada, different countries. Numbers yeah, might be slightly different. What's the origin of, uh, of the scenario? So it's saying that this kind of thinking is fairly common. 63% of white Americans say they don't benefit much or at all from being white. Yeah, they believe that's what they say and that's what they believe. And it says when white people don't accept that there are benefits to being white, they cast doubt on the idea that racial inequality exists at all. Yeah, because unless you've been exposed to it, you don't necessarily know. So it's like if you're if you're someone um, of a white background and um, you're in in discussions about white privilege, it's kind of like you don't it's a difficult one because um, for them, I would imagine, because um, because why? So somebody of, a, of somebody of, somebody being of a white background wouldn't have any exposure to much racism, and so for, for them to comment on um, on even privilege because they have they don't know what the other side is like, it's really difficult. And I suppose I'm going to bring it up the, the Harry and Meghan scenario again. This is what Harry is, I, I, as an example, I can give Harry. So Harry's been um, born a prince. It's it's clear, it's white privilege. He's um, royal privilege. And he's been exposed to only that. And then in his 30s, he then enters into a relationship and chooses a life partner. So this isn't just a friend, but his life is now with somebody of colour. Mm-hmm. And so now he's getting first-hand knowledge of responses of discrimination, of bigotry, of unfairness, of, of being treated unjustly. And it's the first time he's been exposed to it. So now he's able to comment on it because well, he's had experience. So in that sense, that white the white person who's saying, Oh, I don't feel um I don't feel privileged because I don't have enough money 
or um, I don't feel, I've never feel felt um, privileged, or I've never felt an advantage because I'm white. They may have, they may have not been exposed to being um, being a person of colour. I get that. I get that. But this is what I said. I said for some people to feel it, touch, experience it in order to understand it. But what just what just pops into my head is my mother's my mum's scenario. My mum is white, and my mum obviously decided to have a black partner, right? And she was disowned by her father. And he and the thing is, her father said to her. And this is just, if I remember correctly, when, from what my mum has told me, that your life is going to be very difficult. I don't that's want what, you. That's what your granddad said to yeah, you. Yeah, I don't want you to go into this relationship. Your life is going to be hard. And I don't approve. In, and this is the 1970s in the UK. This is 1970. Yeah, in the in the and actually in in Northern Ireland, and there's actually not. Very few black people or people of any colour other than white in Northern Ireland. I mean, especially then. Now are definitely more for sure. But then, so the question is, well, how did he know that it was going to be difficult if those he didn't know he didn't have any friends of colour or different nationalities other than him being Irish and other people being maybe English? How did he know? And this is what I mean when you talk to the fact that because you're privileged, you don't understand. The differences the way people are treated how did he know uh, and what i'm suggesting is and this is pure speculation is the media things you see on tv how people of color are talked about how how the press uh, uh, paint a picture how uh, not just the press but movies yes you know black people then are usually either slaves or criminals yeah and it comes down to that unconscious bias exactly so, yeah so yeah. to say that you can't know well, the differences in how they're treated because you haven't met someone, you don't have someone close to you in your life. I've struggled to believe that for that reason because you you have to be um, living without ever watching TV or films or reading news to see what goes on and then form an opinion that either this group of people are bad and they only have these capabilities or whatever, yeah, they're only criminals or they're not smart or whatever. I think, yeah, I think, see, I'm, I'm hearing you there, Tracy. Yes, it's outweighs unconscious bias. When you are in that situation, um, so that, um, so this is statistic around, um, you know, a large percentage of, of the US um, who were in the survey basically um, said that they, um, even though they were of, of white origin, they didn't see that that had been, that had benefited in favour. But, but, you know what was the alternative they don't know any different yeah but that's what i'm saying i agree with you it's different absolutely totally agree with you but what i'm saying is they must know or see the differences of how black people of color not just black are portrayed versus yeah. white people they can see the differences but they can't appreciate how it impacts them they can't okay. i guess that's it that's the, the answer then isn't it they don't know they how to appreciate how it impacts them. how it actually impacts them on yeah. a daily basis and that's why it's that unconscious it's like unless um unless you've actually unless that one if unless a white person has been exposed directly to an to a bias mm. um about the, around their color, that it's it's always going to be secondhand for them. Yeah, I guess so. But then also, I would invite people, white, 
they would have experienced a bias of not related to the color, maybe related to their ability, maybe related to their sex yeah. or something else that they mm -hmm. identify with. Yeah. And that's, that's your taste of what it's like. Yeah. I would invite you to, to think about that. Um, but anyway, also says, so besides casting doubt on the idea that racial inequality exists at all, the common also invalidates the lived experiences of non-white co-workers who deal with racial inequality as part of their daily lives. Yeah, I think there was a, um, I'm going way back and I don't know the source, but there was um, an experiment that was undertaken years ago where they took a, a, small, a small group of people and they basically gave them like latex masks Oh, and, yes. and they and they basically made them people of color, like people of color, and they put them out in for a day to see what kind of response they got. And they and the outcome of this was it literally it really did open their eyes mm. up to the kind of bias that people had. It make people black on everyday basis. Yeah, they basically had um, a, a small group of um, of individuals who who were white, and they basically made latex masks. So yeah. like they made it look like they were people of color, yeah. Um, and even like their hands and and uh, yeah. and so and then they put them out and they, they um, in the streets of uh, of the area that they, they conducted this experiment, social experiment, mm -hmm. and uh, and yeah, the um and the outcome was that the perspectives were were just they were uh, the eyes were opened. Uh, yeah, so I just think it's really funny. And um, actually, they did that with old people. Did they not make people really old as well? They did that. It was, yeah, they also did that, yeah. So again, like you said, Tracy, you know, it can be a case of, you know, you can basically have bias, not just on colour, but on age, on gender, you know, on, on other factors. Mm -hmm. experiments like that. So yeah. I got a resource, but I've seen it. I've oh, seen if that. you can find it, I'd love to watch it. Yes. If you can find it. Anyway, what what to do really if you're in this position and like I said I in my 20s I would have just let it go I would not said anything I didn't want to open that can of worms but what you could do is you could tell a co-worker that you know acknowledge them this person who you maybe grew up poor has worked very hard to get where they are you can say you work you know you work hard to get where you are and explain that benefiting from white privilege doesn't mean they haven't struggled because that's not what it means it means their challenges may be economic, health-related, or derived from another source, but racism has not been one of their burdens. And that's... So if you think, even if you just take that as out, so everyone could be at the mercy of health issues, social issues, economic issues. They can always... Everyone, every human being can have those struggles. Yeah, everybody has a struggle. So everybody it? has a struggle. That's humankind. It's all struggles. Exactly. But the added, added struggle of racism to overcome, to be, to get where you want to be, is something else that shouldn't be, shouldn't be, part of the equation. Put another way, they haven't struggled because they are white. Whereas people struggle because they are not white. And I think that's the point. Yeah, but it's also how you how you frame that and what kind of tone you use and where you're coming from. Because otherwise, you, there's a risk of you coming across as though you're not validating um, what they're saying. Yeah. 
yeah so it's it's interesting because you know other people have other things they have to overcome absolutely and even though it hugely benefits them white privilege can be invisible to those who have it and it's like you're saying you don't see what you don't see what you don't experience it yourself you don't see it and it and it's invisible and I know people that I have heard people get almost annoyed with the term white privilege and I remember oh I read an article and I'll forward it to you I will not talk about it here because it was very it was a very extreme rant about white privilege not being a thing and essentially this um author concludes that oh you just need everybody just needs to be nice to each other so we don't need to go on about it if everybody's just nice to each other then everything's fine beautiful that's the that's the solution <laughs> if that was the solution we wouldn't be where we are anyway i'll send it to you um isn't a thing that's like so you know it's too at george floyd it's like white privilege george floyd yeah, no. Oh, that was that 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 situation with George Floyd could have been avoided if we were just kind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a, that's a, I think that, that that kind of perspective that's living in fairy tale land, really. You know, it's exactly. like that's once upon a time and then happily ever after kind of stuff. It says it's the privilege of not being treated with suspicion by store clerks or regularly pulled over by police. It can mean being hired over a black candidate with similar experience or getting a mortgage when a person of colour in the same financial situation is denied one. And this this happens a lot more in. Yeah. And also, actually, there was a news, news feature that came up this week about um, a TV show um, coming on Apple TV. <laughs> I think it's called Truth Be Told. It's a series that's been going on for a number of years. But this particular um, season of episodes, it's focused on, it's all, it's going to be based, or it's about to be based on a story around a group of um, uh, young black girls going missing and the difference of media attention and um, work, workforce employed in the States to actually search for these girls. Oh wow! So there's a clear difference there in between, yeah. And, it, and it is, it's sad it shouldn't happen in this day and age. And so even when people know white privilege exists, they can be reluctant to admit it applies to them, can make them feel defensive, and as if their own hard work is invalidated. And you get that, don't you? Because you're essentially saying you've had benefits I haven't to get where you are, and people don't want to hear that. I wouldn't want to hear that. So I get why there's a level of defensiveness around that. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, people may have had to overcome some very serious things to get where they are. Hmm. So I totally get that. I just and think... And again, that's like a can of words, because that, well, that's a whole other episode and story. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's yeah. like, but at the end of the day, I like I say, I have, I have privilege as well. Well, I have privilege, and I'm still going to accept that I have that. I, I don't feel uncomfortable um, accepting that I have privilege. Where, where some black people don't yeah do you, um, like, do you feel like you have uh, I hate to say this expression but I'm going to say one do you feel like you've you've had um best of both worlds hmm that's another episode yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a juicy episode Tracy <laughs> that's another episode um that is a really juicy episode I'd say there's pros and cons to both 
That would be like a really juicy episode. Like call it, yeah, call it best of both worlds. <laughs> that's that's a that's a hook. <laughs> that's a book. There you go. So you that's a, that's a book. I told you you need to be my PI lady. But anyway, um, I think we really need to wrap it up. Okay, right. Yeah, but time is just uh, flowing, fl- flowing by here. So, and we're, yeah, we're, we're rabbiting on as we normally do. As we normally do. All right. But it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Bavna, as yeah, always. And, you know, it'd be great to hear from your listeners about who, how many people are going to be reading that has a book. So, okay, um, reading although, a book. if anyone's had any experiences around where they have had um, preconceived ideas and beliefs that they've always been comfortable with and then had a new lens on it it'd be really great to hear from the listeners and we can maybe share some stories in the start of the next episode yeah that would be great thanks for that all right then Bernard, have a great rest of your week i shall do i look forward to catching up with you next week tracy yeah definitely all right stay smiling bye bye thank you so much for tuning in We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!